Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Today we want to begin by looking at three passages of Scripture in the New Testament where the phrase, the title for God, Abba, Father, is found. It is found for us in Mark 14.36, then again in Romans 8.15 and Galatians 4.6. Simply put, the title Abba, it's Aramaic, means Father. Found these three times in the New Testament. Let's begin looking at Mark chapter 14 and verse number 36. In the Mark passage, Jesus expressed willing obedience to his Father to accomplish the most difficult act of obedience. It says, And he said, Abba, Father, all these things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Jesus expressing his willingness to obey the Father is an example to us. In the epistles, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to cry, Abba, Father, because we must obey him without question. Let's read Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And then in the book of Galatians, chapter number 4, And verse number 6, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here we find in the epistles, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to cry, Abba, Father, because we must obey him without question. Now some people suggest that the Aramaic word Abba is akin to our English word Daddy. I have a bit of a problem with that idea. I don't think that we ought to bring God down to our common level of thinking. Yes, we ought to have a close, intimate relationship with God our Father, but he is much more than a daddy. And before we go too far, we should ask the question, what is a father? There are three definitions that come to mind. One, a father is an originator of a movement. In science class and in history class, we often learn that so-and-so was the father of the invention of some thing or whatever. So the originator of a movement or the father of, of some movement. Another definition of the word father is a one who begets. And then a third one is a 
Father is a spiritual mentor of a child. God fulfills all three of these roles. In this message, I want to look at the fatherhood of God. And then I want to look at our response to his fatherhood that we call our sonship. So we're going to look at the responsibilities of a father. We're going to look at the significance of a father. And then we're going to look at the means of sonship. First of all, the responsibilities of a father. What does a father do? And there are several duties that a father is to fulfill. One, he is to provide. This is a given duty of fatherhood. A father is to provide for his household. There are many illustrations in the Bible of men providing for their family. God, our Father, certainly provides for all of our needs. I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on that one, God's provision. Another responsibility of a father is guidance. Guiding is the act of shaping and molding. It is the essence of the promise given to us, the principle given to us in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Of course, the way that a child ought to go is in the way of righteousness. God and his Holy Spirit certainly guide us as believers in the way that we ought to go. I'm told that the training here is individual to the child. Each child is different and needs to be guided into a specific path. Well, we need the wisdom of the Lord to guide our children in the way that they should go. Now, God generically guides all of his children in the paths of righteousness. But specifically, each of us take a different path. Our goals, our jobs, our desires are are all different. God leads in different ways. And he always, God always guides in the right way. We as parents may not do that, but God always does that in the right way. Another responsibility of a parent, of a father, is to protect. Provide, guide, protect. Protection is manifested in several ways, namely by holding, helping, watching, and guarding or keeping and preserving. A father begins his life with his child by holding him in his arms. Psalm 139 in verse number 10 says, Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So God holds us. As that child grows, and Father will lend a hand to help the child with this or that project or task. Psalm 22.19 says, But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. God helps us. Don't despise the need for God's help. Once the child ventures out away from the presence of the father, then there is a need for watching and guarding. Human fathers sometimes fail here, but God is ever watching. Hagar discovered the all-seeing eye of God when she declared... Thou, God, seest me in Genesis 16 and verse number 13. God is always watching. The psalmist declared God's watch care. In Psalm 32, 7, he says, Thou art my hiding place. 
Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. God is constantly holding, helping, watching, and guarding us. Another responsibility of a father is to support. Once the child is grown and in the or in the process of growing, it is the duty of a parent to support the child in the various endeavors that will shape his life. We need God's help as a parent, of course, to find the child's interests, aptitudes, and abilities. Let me explain a little bit. Musical talents, musical abilities. I taught trumpet lessons a number of times, and sometimes I get a student that either doesn't have an interest for it, maybe even doesn't have an aptitude for it, an attitude, <laughs> maybe or maybe not, an ability for it. And it's, it's hard sometimes to discover that. We as parents are guilty sometimes of pervading our own interests, our own abilities or desires upon the child. We wish that we would have become something or another. We can do that, and so we project that upon the child. Our expectations as a parent sometimes exceed the child's ability or capability. We need the wisdom of the Lord sometimes to determine how far, how fast, how hard to push them to become what they might be able to become. On the other hand, God expects perfection out of us. Be holy for I am holy. And he gives us all of the provisions necessary in order for that to happen. Of course, it is a given that the father supports the child in righteous endeavors. We're not going to support them in bad things. A father's presence will give great support to a child. Parents who are absent from a child's endeavors, like a school play or a basketball game, will have a hard time giving support to the child. God, our Heavenly Father, will never leave us nor forsake us, Hebrews 13.5. When we have an event going on in our lives, God is there to support us. Another task of a father is to encourage or to embolden the child to do what can be done. As human fathers, we do this with praise and encouragement. Sometimes children will say, I can't do it. Well, we need to encourage them that it can be done. Our Heavenly Father emboldens us through His Word and with the ministry of the Spirit of God. So those are some of the responsibilities of a father. Provide, guide, protect, support, and embolden. I want to think next about the significance of fatherhood. What is the meaning of fatherhood? What does it mean to be a father? I'm thinking more so in along the lines of God being our father. And with God, there is a sovereign relationship. The name father carries a weight of authority with it. The father is in charge. We're living in a day and age, of course, where parents are no longer in charge. Children are in charge. Children's rights, 
The child, however, biblically speaking, as well as the rest of the family, is to submit to the leadership of the father. Well, our Heavenly Father, God, is certainly in charge of life, although sometimes we act like we are in charge. So there's a sovereign relationship in the father relationship. There's also, particularly speaking of God, a covenant relationship. The name Father also signifies this covenant or promise relationship. God has promised to be a father to his children. Hosea captured this truth in his exclamation that Israel was God's son. Hosea 11.1 1, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. The fact that God called Israel out of Egypt is a fulfillment of the promise that God made with the patriarch Israel to protect and provide for the nation. There is an obligation in the call presented to Pharaoh by Moses. If we go back to Exodus chapter number 4, we're going to read verses 22 and 23. And says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So here we find a promise that God, a fulfillment of the promise, of a relationship to the promise. God made way back with, Abra, with Abraham when he called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. And God said, I'm going to protect this nation. You're going to become this nation. Abraham was the father of many peoples. And so the call that God gave to Abraham is now presented to Pharaoh by Moses. And so Pharaoh says to Moses, Israel is God's son. And God says, let my son go. A covenant relationship. That's somewhat true in our human perspective. We as fathers have a promise when we beget a son to protect, to provide, to guide, to support, and to encourage and admonish that son. Now, we as God's people are not necessarily covenant people. But when you love that woman, that mother of your child, well enough, to beget the child, you were entering into a covenant relationship with that woman to provide the child and to provide for the child. It is time to fulfill that promise and do what a father ought to do. Absentee fathers have forsaken the promise that they made to that wonderful wife on that marriage day. We need to fulfill that promise. The name father also speaks of fellowship that the child can have with the father. In his first epistle, the Apostle John chose the theme of fellowship, and he stated his purpose for writing. If you go to the little epistle of 1 John, and once he gives his introduction, he says, that which we have seen and heard, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, 
and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. In this epistle, he says that you may have fellowship. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. So the Father-Son relationship is a relationship of fellowship. Now, in our human relationships, there's a variety of different ways that human fathers have fellowship with their sons. Some have a close relationship. Some have a closer relationship. Some have a loose relationship. And that all depends, I guess, on how that father and son, or father and daughter, for that matter, build that relationship. And I don't know that there's anything right or wrong uh, about that with a human perspective, but God certainly wants to have fellowship with his sons and daughters. Now, we've talked about God. We've talked about the responsibilities of fathership. We've talked about the significance of fatherhood. What does it mean to be a father? There's a sovereign relationship, a covenant relationship, a fellowship relationship. What do we do now as sons of God? We are called the sons of God. How do we earn the right to call God Abba, Father? Those two epistles, the Romans passage and the Galatians passage, talked about us as God's children calling God Abba, Father. We obtain the right to call God Father by becoming a son. And how do you become a son of God? Of course, Romans, or rather John one twelve but as many as received him. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So we become sons of God, first of all, by birth. Like physical birth, spiritual birth, must be, or spiritual sonship must be gained by birth. The new birth. And of course, Jesus explained this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, well, how can I be born when I'm old? Can a man enter into his mother's womb and be born again? Well, Jesus wasn't talking about a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth. He said, that which is born of spirit is spirit, and that which is born of flesh is flesh. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Then he used the illustration of the wind blowing where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. So we get the idea that the Spirit of God blows where the Spirit of God wishes to blow. We can't see him working, but it's a spiritual happening. And we need to be spiritually born again. Jesus marveled that he didn't understand these things being a master in Israel. And he said, if I tell you about spiritual or physical things, or how can you understand uh, the spiritual things? Then Jesus used another illustration. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. The illustration in the wilderness, 
The children of Israel were bitten by serpents because of their disobedience. And God told Moses, put a brass serpent upon a pole and tell the people to look at that brass serpent. And when they looked, they could be made whole. And Jesus is saying in the same way, when you look to the Son of God who was raised up on a cross and shed his blood for you, and then he goes on to say, verse 15 of John chapter 3, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, of course, Jesus is talking about this before he's offered up on the cross. We know that that is a relationship to his cross work. So Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus, you need to believe in me. And it's always the criterion for salvation is always faith. There in verse 16, whosoever believeth in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. As John is recording this in his gospel, he concludes in verse number 36 of the chapter, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So not only do we need to be born by birth, we need to be born by faith. We did nothing to obtain physical birth. We had no choice in the matter. We had no say in the matter. We had no part in creating the new life. On the other hand, spiritual birth is obtained by faith. John also declared this in the gospel. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Faith is always the criterion for salvation. So we become a child of God by birth, by faith, and also by adoption. It's a way of describing the new birth, by adoption. And, and this is mentioned by Paul in Romans and also in the book of Galatians. I want to go to Romans chapter number 8. I'll begin reading at verse number 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So there is a new birth that is entered into by faith, and God adopts us into his family. And so we need the Spirit of God to help us cry, Abba, Father. And then also, this is mentioned by Paul in the book of Galatians, again, chapter 4, verse number 6, because we are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Without going into all of the nuances of adoption, Adoption is basically the placing of a son. We are placed by God into his family. So we become a child of God by adoption, by birth, by faith, by new birth, that is, by faith, by adoption, and then also by love. All of this son placing is motivated by the love of God. In the epistle of 1 John, once again, 
And uh, this time, chapter number 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Called the sons of God by a manner of love. And of course we have that in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This passage in 1 John chapter 3 is interesting. Yes, it is the love of God that motivates the birth and all of that. Verse number 2 of chapter 3 of 1 John says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then verse 3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So here's the concept. If we are indeed begotten of God, we are the sons of God, and we are hopefully in the process of becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that when the Lord appears, we shall be like him, all right, so that's coming in the future. But right now, every man that hath this hope in him does what? Purifies himself. So we ought to be those pure sons of God and living up to the name and living up to Abba, Father. We have a God that has fulfilled all of the responsibilities of a father. He's the best father that anyone could ever have. God has done everything on his part to make the father-son relationship what it ought to be. Why then are not we better sons and daughters of Christ? Have we removed ourselves from his presence? Have we despised our relationship with him? Have we thwarted the love of God? God has not changed. If you're a child of God this morning, you don't feel the love of God and that fellowship is waxing and waning It is not God's fault. I heard an illustration many years ago of a husband and wife who, after many years of marriage, were driving along and the wife said to the husband, What's happened to us? We used to drive down the road and I used to sit next to you and we used to be in sweet fellowship. What happened to us? And the husband turned to her and said, Well, I haven't moved. Well, that's the way it is with us. If there is a relationship with the Lord that is waxing and waning and not becoming, not being what it ought to be, it's not God who has moved. We're the ones who have moved away from the Lord. And we need to get back into that fellowship. Praise the Lord that we have a wonderful Father that never changes. He's always the same. His love for us is an everlasting love that will never grow old that will never fade away. What a wonderful Father. Do you know Him? Have you called Him lately? Have you talked to Him? Do you converse with Him often? Remember, He loves you. It is wonderful on this Father's Day to remember that we have a Father in Heaven. Our Father which art in Heaven is the best, in fact, perfect Father there is. He's the premier example of fatherhood to all of us. 
the fatherhood of God is an example to all fathers to be a father like God. What an example to follow. The fatherhood of God also reminds us to be good sons and daughters of God. Have you become a son by birth? Are you a faithful son by obedience? Are you a beloved son by fellowship? Let us honor our Heavenly Father on this Father's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to once again look at the Word of God. We marvel at this title, Abba, Father. I pray that we would have that kind of an intimate relationship with you that we can indeed call you Father. We not cringe at your presence or shy away from coming unto your throne. Help us to come in prayer and in other means to you and find that sweet fellowship with our Heavenly Father, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached the church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. <laughs>